Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Rathilion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tanika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. And joining me is our co-host, Nadia Butt, an organizational development and belonging strategist. Nadia, welcome. Hello, Rob. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Uh, we'll be releasing this this episode on Halloween, right? I was... Yeah, that was actually going to lead me into the question. <laughs> I had a what, feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so happy Halloween to everyone. And what in the past has been your most favorite costume that you've worn? My favorite, I think it's probably, so So uh, my my wife, Juliana, she always insists that all of our costumes have to be together. We have to do things together. With like and... you and her or you, her, and your child? Like no, just us. Okay, just, all right. Yeah, just us. And uh, so one year we were, uh, I think a long time ago, we were Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen together. Oh my gosh, I and, need a picture of that. <laughs> and it was pretty incredible. We were in uh, Chapel Hill on Franklin Street. They do a big holiday party. And so got a lot of attention. I'm, a, I'm an attractive woman, Nadia. Are like, you? I, I, I can yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm an attractive yeah. woman. Uh, yeah, how about you? My favorite costume has been a penguin. <laughs> As a penguin a few years ago, and it was really fun. <laughs> I got so many compliments on it, and I looked really cute. So. Yeah, was it like a big? Yeah. Was it a big suit? Was it a? It was, was it basically like a, a big suit, suit and okay. then like it had like the nose, like the nose, <laughs> and then I wore like really bright red lipstick, and I yeah, really looked cute. I'll send you a picture of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what we those. should do. We should. I was just gonna say we should post our Halloween pictures. We should post them, except um, with mine. I don't think that it would be appropriate. Uh, well, I think that, I, I don't think that the. <laughs> That Julia would be excited about that. So oh, uh, yeah. that being posted, so maybe not. Maybe because just every picture is us together. So yeah, yeah, let's just post your penguin. How about that? I'll see if I can find something. Um, and this is just a friendly reminder from the Inclusive Collective podcast to not be offensive or appropriate this Halloween season. It's a good reminder for me as well. Thank you. 
Shall we get to the deets? Let's get to the deets. So, Nadia, our first story that, mm-hmm. that, that I was looking at that caught my eye this week, and there's so many stories this week, right? So, so many. So I'm just trying to focus in. I don't want to talk about Kanye or Yee or whatever. I know, um, I don't so. Like Interesting article, New York Times, uh, that for disabled workers, a tight labor market means uh, new open doors. Since the beginning of the pandemic, employers have overhauled job requirements and the hiring process and have been looking to recruit candidates they may have overlooked previously. Companies' newfound openness to remote work has led to opportunities for people whose disabilities make in-person work difficult or impossible. More than 35% of disabled Americans between the age of 18 to 64 have jobs. That's up from 31% before the pandemic and the highest rate ever. So my first thought, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this as well, mm-hmm. that you know, labor force participation, even though it's dr- dramatically better, according to the article, it seems mm-hmm. very low. So I'm not a, a labor mm-hmm. economist, as you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I, it's just a hobby of mine. Um, right. <laughs> but I had a lot of questions immediately about how that reported unemployment rate shakes out. And it's always, you always see the, the headline number, but you don't see about the disparities that are contained within that number. And so I think right. that should be how it should be presented going forward always in, in all media. That should be, those disparities should be front and center, right? How, how unemployment affects different populations, right? So mm-hmm. then the other thing that this brought out for me was just, we have data point after data point of in favor of remote work, right? So indicating that it leads to more inclusive work environments. On one side, we have this mountain of data uh, that suggests that remote work is a facilitator of greater diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, we have a bunch of whiter, older, oftentimes men who really miss the office. And Mm -hmm. that poll continues to be seen and go back and forth. But I think that the evidence is pretty overwhelming on the side of remote work as a more uh, inclusive work uh, setup. Yeah. From my own experience, um, I think of the female population as well. Like I know that you were mentioning people um, living with disabilities, but I also think like I think of women who and I'm, I'm using this based not off of research, but based off of my own kind of circular social group where many folks really appreciated the remote workplace, especially women, because they were able to balance a lot of things mm-hmm. at home and um, not sit in two hours of traffic every day going into the office. Um, and so it was just it really accommodated for a, a lifestyle that was friendly to work life balance. And so great conversation. Thank you for that. D number two. Um, So according to an NPR article, Disney revealed its first uh, plus-sized heroine last month, and the general consensus is that people are equally frustrated and inspired. So Bianca is a young ballerina uh, with no spoken lines, and she stars in a two-minute short film titled Reflect. And apparently, Rob, there's a scene in the film where Bianca's dance teacher instructs her to, like, you know, tight tummy, long neck, because it's baller. You know, it's a ballerina. Mm-hmm. In the film, she, Bianca reviews her own stomach in the mirror, and the glass cracks, and Bianca is like sucked into this like dark and ominous space where she's left to dance without like inhibition to successfully battle her reflection. Right? Like, okay, okay. So people, people are saying, I didn't watch it, so that's number one. You know, I'm just kind of reading the news around it. People are saying her character is 
dampened with self-doubt um, and she may be struggling with body dysmorphia and it seems Disney wanted to showcase a character who struggles with body image. What what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, so this is something that I noticed uh, with my son when he was growing up and we watched a lot of cartoons. So it's not just Disney featuring real thin kids, curvy teens, all the kids live in amazing houses in really cool neighborhoods. Uh, this is every cartoon, even on PBS morning shows, uh, with the exception mm. of Sid the Science Kid, who didn't have okay. the world's most glamorous look, but uh, you know he was full of confidence and good at science. But that's not mm. what we're talking about. Do you know right. Sid the Science Kid? I don't. I know Bluey though. Oh, Sid the Science Kid. My great. friend's kid. I, I don't think they, I don't, okay. may not even exist. Um, okay. But. You know, this seems to be that there's a positive message here, but I would tend to agree with the people who say that this is somewhat of a miss based on just what I had seen. And it seems to me the classic case of good intentions without getting the feedback of the people that you're trying to inspire, right? That's what it seems like. I'm guessing that as a two minute short, they don't have the same sort of vetting process or screen testing that they would have for a feature length movie. Sure. But, um, and I don't know the feedback, what kind of feedback they got. I don't know what yeah. the creative team looked like. But it seems like they just talked to 10 people, uh, either impacted in or interested in weight issues, mm -hmm. that they may have, have gotten some of this feedback a little bit earlier, or it may have changed the way that they that they approached this and released it. So um, yeah. the, you know, these stories are always the best argument for diversity, right? That, yeah. you know, have people in your company or in your life that can offer you a different perspective so you don't make these kind of mistakes. Yeah, you know, and just like Disney in general... They had some LGBTQ issues a few months ago, some concerns. They are devoted. They say they're devoted to being inclusive, building diverse teams. Disney has historically depicted plus size female characters as villains or kind of extras mm -hmm. against or in contrast to the ultra thin princess protagonist that you kind of were mentioning. And so, like, there's just this visual representation of what a woman should look like mm -hmm. or a girl should look like and be. And it's typically not a brown, you know, bigger woman. I never saw myself in any of those mm -hmm. um, movies. But they have had a general 99-year history of being marked as um, with racism, sexism, and exclusivity. So I do hope that they are trying to... Uh, again, I haven't seen it, but I would be curious what other people think. So... You know, share your thoughts with us on the Disney short film Reflect if you've watched it. All right. That's it for the deets. Coming up is our interview with uh, the co-founders of Wearworks. Rob, you couldn't join us on the interview, but we talked about haptics technology, discussed their products, and they did a wrap for us. Wow. Isn't that cool? We'll be right back. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are chiefs of the haptic world. Come fill our brains unfurl. Touch is so untapped. Haptics will change the world. We have a vision of a world that doesn't need vision. Elevating touch to the level of sight and sound. That's our mission. Research spending. 
Today is Access Tomorrow for all of our children. Look at the spending over the last century on each of the five of our senses. Seems believing, yet most went to vision. Second is sound and pretty far distant. Over the last hundred years, the most of our dollars on research and only two senses. Isn't that senseless? Here's my two cents and vision is king and touches in prison. The patriarch of all of the senses of sight. Who really made that decision? Surely no one in the 285 million with limited vision. And when you listen to the 460 million with limited hearing, digital, so sight and sound driven, that it left nearly a billion inaccessibly on the wrong side of the digital divide with no virtual pot to piss in. The future is touch, and that is our mission. Wherever it's haptics, touch with the weight and intention of dramatically making a difference. I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right, folks. So this week on Inclusive Collective, we have something really special for y'all. Um, so we here at Inclusive Collective, we've been following this company, Wearworks, um, for a bit. For those that don't know, Wearworks is a haptic platform company developing products and experiences that communicate information through touch. Um, their product, Wayband, is a wearable device and app that acts as a navigation aid for the blind and the visually impaired peoples. Um, guiding users uh, to an end destination solely utilizing vibrations. Their company's vision is to make communication more in, um, intuitive between technology and people. And we are so thrilled to have the co-founders join us this week on Inclusive Collective. Kevin Yu and Keith Kirkland, thank you for joining us today. So good to have you. Thank you so much for having yeah. us. Yeah. So um, I'll just dive in. So in a previous episode on our podcast, we spoke about different various innovations that are happening out there for the disability community. Oftentimes, many of those innovations become the basis for everyone. And I was just curious, what are the applications of a haptics that you believe are all people will be able to take advantage of? And Keith, you know, since you're the chief haptic officer, do you want to answer that one? <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy to. And so, you know, we started out with this idea of, wow, digital is so sight and sound driven, but as human beings, we have five senses, you know, and smell and taste were pretty far off from the digital mm -hmm. possibility, but touch was right there. And what we saw was like an opportunity to use more of it. And so some of the applications that we're looking at, obviously our navigation application is, is pretty amazing for the blind and visually impaired. But also, just like audiobooks and Siri, mm -hmm. it goes well beyond the blind and visually impaired community. I use the Wayband often when I'm hiking. You know, we are working with runners and Paralympic athletes okay. who want to use it for training purposes. And we have lots of other use cases that we're exploring just in the navigation space. But outside of the navigation space, we're really looking at mm -hmm. an ecosystem where we empower people to create haptic experiences to embed the haptic experiences that we create into their existing products to make them more accessible. And ultimately to work with B2B, um, with the innovations that we generate from the accessibilities community as a way of funding the accessibilities developments to subsidize oh, wow. them at a much lower cost of potentially free. Yeah, um, beyond all the you know amazing things that Keith also mentioned and, you know, and more, there is, Mm -hmm. Just the immense capability of things that we, we take for granted, mm -hmm. right? Like visual bandwidth has become kind of the norm in terms of most technology conversing it though. And I think audio has stepped in for a lot of communication for uh, interaction mm -hmm. like, or also for enacting. But when it comes to 
receiving audio feedback, it becomes very distracting and very annoying. And as you know, visual bandwidth with the screen has become literally top tier. We're at almost a hundred percent visual bandwidth at almost all times, mm -hmm. advertisement, commercials, cell phone screens, mm -hmm. TVs, you know, computers, what, what, you know, you name it. So if we can allocate some of that into haptics, um, we can look at things less, we can listen to things and be less distracted. And for people with disabilities, with either of these senses lost, it could become the next thing. So what we used to say mm -hmm. is, you know, disability is just a uh, information barrier. So if we can now open that information into new channels, that could be completely a game changer. So that's what haptics allow us to do because it's an untapped market, uh, but it's not really has, you know, has been in for so long in notifications. And now getting into communication, that's the major goal. And like what Keith was saying, indoor navigation is one part of it. Even finding your car, let's say Uber or autonomous vehicles in the future, mm -hmm. right? If there's no driver, how do you actually find that car very intuitively mm -hmm. and fast? And especially if you're blind or visually impaired, it's difficult to do that. So being able to add the haptics as the, you know, the bridging in between to have no information barrier at all to make it actually better for even sighted users to have that experience of finding something or getting to places. Um, it's kind of the start of where we mm -hmm. see, and then the, the growth from there could be exponential. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's incredible. Have either of you experienced any sort of roadblocks or just challenges where, um, m when you're trying to scale or get that product launched, um, that you've encountered be maybe because of your identity or experience, or maybe not because of that, but I'm just curious if you've ever encountered anything. Yeah, I guess, you know, yes, it's <laughs> the, <laughs> The short answer, yeah. like for sure. Um, you've been doing this for almost eight years now. So we've been counting pretty much uh, almost all of it um, and more more to experience in the, the sector of, you know, exponential Thanks. growth and after post sales and all that stuff. But anything else below that realm, um, we've, we've gone through it. And in any business, especially like ours, where we came in very early, right? Haptic was not really a thing. Uh, what we were doing was very new. And a lot of big companies didn't really, you know, get it in a lot of different sense. Like for example, like Google Maps, Apple Maps still exist in senses of mainly visual, but they're not right. really fully haptic yet, which is, you know, they're not fully accessible mm -hmm. is what I, what I should say. And they're now just adding in haptic feedback for left and right turn signals. And we've encompassed the entire radius, right? We can give you precise orientation with haptics. Mm -hmm. So. When we first started, it was still very much like, hey, buzz means like you got something. Um, and then now we're getting into this means you are like literally facing the wrong direction. Now you got to go exactly oh, wow. into this exact realm. So that's just, that's just the beginning, right? We're trying to create a linguist for touch. That's the big vision. And as we kind of work towards that, you know, people, they taught, they take their time to understand, but once they feel, mm -hmm. they get it. So it was a, a majorly a lot of us traveling around, getting in front of a lot of people with power, leadership, and just kind of making them feel it to believe it. Yeah. And once that happened, the click, you know, in their mind would automatically be uh, done in within seconds. And then with that, it will convert over into opportunities sure. that we needed to leverage the business. Sure. To kind of sentiment, like, you know, a big part of what we do is risk. And a big part mm -hmm. of, you know, what we do is, you know, people not understanding what the risk is and, you know, not being clear on that. And, you know, you can imagine, you know, trying to have conversations with people 
telling them that we're going to revolutionize the sense of touch for digital communications era. It's like, you know, we must have sounded as crazy as Henry Ford did when he was trying to sell people cars after they had been riding horses. <laughs> so, right. you know, like, so we get that, like, everyone's not going to get the vision. But we mm -hmm. also know that, like, the people who do get it, they really get it. Um, and we've definitely gone through the hardships to find those people. But, you know, like, we have such amazing teams behind us, you know, like, Supporters at Soundboard, at Google, at EY, mm -hmm. at Verizon, at Remarkable, you know, Quake, just, mm. you know, Mini Cooper, just, you know, National Science Foundation. Like, we've just gotten so much support and so much help along the way that even though we got all those no's, like, we kept getting these big supporters who were like, this is a great idea. Don't let the world shift you out of it. Keep moving forward. And so um, yeah. it's definitely been like a, a, a growth experience. So for that's actually really interesting. So if you know other founders that might be listening and tuning in right now and entrepreneurs, what are some of the lessons that maybe you've learned along the way um, as it relates to someone maybe saying no? Because it sounds like you've gotten out there, you've gotten some mentors or sponsors. Um, you've you know maybe gone through an accelerator program. It sounds like through like maybe with Remarkable. What are some of the lessons that you or, or you know? maybe not even necessarily lessons, but just things that you would suggest to a founder or an entrepreneur starting out, especially when they're facing challenges of um, launching, scaling, prototyping a product. You know, obviously you hear a lot about grit. I have to say that's still number one, right? Uh, you're going to face so many challenges. And Keith and I, we've, like I said, we've gone through so many different roller coasters and bumps and everything, you know, you name it. And even in the midst of good things, you'll always face some mm. bad things. And this will always just be constantly shifting at all times, which means you have to have pretty good control of your emotions and uh, not let things really kind of get to your head. And so I think the biggest um, strength of a founder in a journey of a startup is uh, in a way composure and to really get through tough times with people around you and not really let things go to your head, right? There is a clear reason why we're doing this. And if you don't have, and this goes into the secondary of purpose driven, and mm -hmm. we are such a purpose driven mm -hmm. company that there is literally um, so many people that are joining us just because they believe in the mission and they, they just want to be part of it, right? It's not a gaming app. I'm not saying that you know, gaming apps suck, but I'm saying generally, we're not just focusing on the adrenaline rush of clicks and likes and whatnot. This is a, a real tech that has real implementations, that has real life-changing uh, mm -hmm. goals. And we've been literally building it from the beginning without alterations, even though we had, you know, those um, offers. We had those military people looking oh, at us. Yeah. We had those, you know, other car industries say, hey, haptic for whatever, whatever, right? But we always kept to the, the mission, which is, hey, we started this company because, um, we have a very close friend of became blind and this was like the goal of it. And we've already validated it by a lot of different means. And now we need, we just need to keep pushing until we get to the, the mm -hmm. finish line, which is, you know, the growth that we want to, that we want to see it. Right. And that's a preparation. Everything is preparation until the execution. Absolutely. That's yeah. great. Keith, did you want to yeah. add to that? Yeah. You know, like you'll learn lessons from anything that you do in life. So, you know, it's, it's, 
I think the biggest lessons that I got from this piece is that like, you really got to love what it is that you're going in for, mm -hmm. you know, like, because like, as, 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 as montage is, you know, it looks on like the jobs documentary and, you know, the social network movie and all the other startup videos mm -hmm. that like glorify the game, but they glorify the end, but not the struggle in the middle. Right. You know, so. Right. If you don't have the love for what it is that you're doing and, you know, I've, I've met people like, oh my God, like I could just like start to start up and like, we can make a bunch of money real quick. And it's like, there's no mm -hmm. real quick, you know, like a bunch of money is like a very rare scenario. And so it's like, right. at the end of the day, if you're only here for money, if you're only here for some accolades or some fame or whatever it is, it's like, I mean, unless you're, unless like that is really grittingly driving you, like that's, mm -hmm. it's not going to be enough. You know, like right. it's not going to be enough to get out of the bed every day. It's not going to be enough to like take another note to the face. It's, it's not going to be enough to get into another argument when someone convinces you that, you know, or tries to convince you that like the idea that you have doesn't have legs to stand on. And so mm -hmm. the big mm -hmm. part of I think of it is like really loving what you do. And like, and I feel like if you love what it is that you do, you can figure out a way to make it make money. That's the easy part. Like finding something you love long enough to stick with it long enough until it can like be that thing that makes money is way more challenging um yeah. the other part i feel like for me is really like around like transparency like I've, I've always been relatively open um and you know like going through this process is it's is really challenging and you know you have the team which are like kind of like your friends that you but they also like people you pay right so it's yeah. kind of like it's, it's a very interesting dynamic they're they're in the struggle yeah. with you but it's a very financially driven relationship right and so right. you know like just from my point of view just being transparent and mm -hmm. just being open as possible because at the end of the day it's like without that transparency you're assuming that whatever information you have is the best information you could obtain almost mm -hmm. and you're running with only that information and the whole point of a diverse team the whole point of you know, diverse thoughts and thinking and age and, you know, diversity and all of what it means, ability, you know, geographic orientation, economic status is that you get different levels of thinking around the same problems. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other part is, is that like, you know, like, like trust, you know, like it's trust is super hard in, in what we do, because mm -hmm. again, it's so financially driven, right? Like, how do you know if the person like can do the thing that they say they're going to do? How do you know if you can trust them with this big task and everyone shows up at the very beginning? kind of in that frame of work but like mm -hmm. how do you maintain that piece and so it's like you know whatever your mechanism is and i don't think i have a quick rule because i think we've definitely made some mistakes so we've definitely you know, like made some like amazing like you know like hires yeah. and connections you know yeah. kind of going with what each of us feels is like our trusting mechanisms you know so it doesn't always produce but i feel like whatever it is it has to just be you have to be comfortable standing by that because you know like when the when the fire hits like you know, like it just has to be something that you believed in, you know, innately within yourself. So I think those are the, the, the three pieces, like trusting your team, having trust in yourself, um, and also to knowing when to question trust, not as necessarily mm -hmm. a disrespect to the team, but as a way of like improving the overall um, product experience, you know, communication. Yeah, that's great. Kevin, I'm curious, just as Keith kind of mentioned, you know, growing and the team dynamics. And as you folks are continuing to grow, and I would imagine bringing on more talent, what does that mean for you folks as leaders of the organization? Yeah. So it's actually really good timing. Uh, and Keith made some incredible points around things that were in my head doing everything that I was doing just before this. 
which is having a call with a new developer that okay. we're onboarding. Yeah. Right. So for example, we've gone through a lot of external uh, developers. We've gone through contracts. We've gone through long-term contracts and full-time employees and so on. And, you know, with this time around, I'm doing it right, which is I'm, stru I'm structuring a, a big contract into bite-sized mm -hmm. pieces. And we're coming to a really clear agreement from the very beginning and giving a month timeline. It added into the first investing schedule into clarifying the agreement. So by doing so, I get to, and we get to understand what the final agreement is of mm -hmm. completion. And so that's not coming from us saying, this is what it is and changing it mm -hmm. midway, which is not good for anybody. It's coming down to this person, giving us feedback of what the ideal performance of that completion is and a date, general timeline, and us working towards that oh, goal together. Yeah. And so this is kind of the best, I think it's been done so far of contracting somebody on board. Um, uh, to where we're and we'll see yeah. what happens, right? It's all just a trial and error, yeah. but we're definitely learning a lot in the process and doing things better every time. So, oh, that's um, great. Continuous yeah. improvement, it sounds like, is a key component of that. That's awesome. Always. I'm curious, you folks um, have built a product for people with low vision or who are unable to see, and you both are ab able to see it. What was that? I'm so curious, what was that design process been like for you? Like, what what have you learned working with this community? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that was a big call for us was that, you know, like, I didn't meet a person who was blind until I met our advisor, you know, mm -hmm. like, who was a friend of Kevin's. So, you know, I can't say that in my world where I was going, it was like, oh, how this is the goal to build technology for people who are blind. And, and my personal door, I was really interested in how do we use touch to communicate information? And more importantly, I was interested in how does touch communicate movement information? And, you know, when Kevin came to me with the idea around, you know, because I was like, hey, let's let's work on my haptic kung fu suit, right? I mean, it's not really that much of a market. Um, and when Kevin came to me with the idea of after meeting Marcus and having a conversation with him around being lost, coming to campus to give a talk um, to some of the designers that Kevin were working with at the time and getting lost on campus and his challenges around that piece of it. And he brought in like haptics as a way of like navigation. I was like, wow, navigation is just a simpler form of movement than Kung Fu. Like instead mm. of three dimensional space, it's two dimensional. Instead of multiple points all over the body, it's one point. Instead of like three dimensional space, you know, like, and moving in any direction, the whole command system is go straight, turn left, turn right, wrong way you've arrived. And so the opportunity that I saw in working with the blind and visually impaired was the navigation piece, building something accessible, building something that actually like benefits and changes the world. And more importantly, building the foundation for how do we start to understand how to communicate, you know, using the sense of touch without needing a visual or an audio component as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a subsidy or, or a subdominant portion of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was my opening into this world. And when we came into the door as well, you know, we hired people who were blind and visually impaired as consultants, you know, we had to ask some really, I mean, like, you know, very personal questions. Like I was, you know, like we pay people like, like, what's your morning routine? How do you go to the bathroom? Like, like very, very personal questions that like we needed to understand it in a really, really deeply nuanced way so that we could figure out like, where does this product actually fit into people's lives? Um, Kev, I think that, you know, your opening with, with Marcus and especially the initial testing that you did um, was super critical to the work that we started. So maybe you want to spend yeah. that story. Tell us that story, Kevin. 
it was it was an early journey, right, to something very exciting. And um, I've always learned from one of our mentors, uh, Henry Yu. He was kind of my uh, father figure of campus, right? And he has the same last name as me, also Korean stuff. So I was like, hey, really feel like mentor. But he was also really famous for design and his user experience um, understanding. He was kind of this madman genius that I would say um, just never enacted unless he really knew what was going on. And so one of the stories that he told a long time ago was this person that was designing for the elder. And she literally dressed up entirely as like an elder woman for like mm-hmm. weeks. And nobody knew like who this person was. Like she just held that for a very long time and just like experienced life as somebody with arthritis and somebody who was, you know, having trouble going up to the bus steps and all, all of it, all of the above, right? So you get to understand a bunch of elements of where you could, you know, improve mm-hmm. a life of somebody that's living with sure. a certain condition. So when this, you know, was told, obviously it hit me very deeply. And this is the way that I like to design as well, right? You can't just start a problem and expect people to follow that problem to a solution. Um, I believe that, you know, with the problem already st- like stated existing mm-hmm. in the world, you as a designer or industrial designer or architect or whatnot, um, in the creative field, you get to morph that into something that could really change the world. So. One of the major things that I did do once I did meet Art Marcus, uh, who was the friend that became blind, and he's the one that invited to a small group that I was uh, hosting for um, inclusive design oriented mentalities. That was still very new at the time, like haptic was new, and so was like inclusive mm-hmm. design. It was just made popular mm-hmm. by Apple, like, you know, a couple of years after. But before then, nobody even used the words like inclusive design as frequently mm-hmm. as we do now. So back then it was like, hey, we're doing something like this because I'm tired of designing cars and yachts and these crazy things that will improve life by like 5%, 10%. And my father will always say, you know, make something that will do a 180 spin, um, make that yeah. big impact in life. That's what you can actually right. do with your skills. So with some of this mind mindset, I did, I was living in the West Village at the time um, after, uh, recently after graduation. And I went through two weeks of walking around the city center of Manhattan in Washington Square Park all around with our, um, you know, previous, uh, co-founder as well, y'all, and he was driving me around and I'll go visit and meet friends completely, um, with a blindfold on first, because I would always just unconsciously open my eyes. It's very difficult to just put yourself in a state, right? You, you, you don't, you forget, or you just do it uh, unconsciously. So for the first week or so, I'd be Cheating a lot, just opening my eyes, so I had to put a blindfold on. And then after a week, I felt more comfortable to just get around with my eyes closed. Yeah. I had a cane. Um, I had the wayband prototype, but mainly I had just my senses. And I understood how important it was to have audio sense, not mm-hmm. be distracted. I understood mm-hmm. that like deeply. And also the major things that I was uh, taking for granted, like just general orientation, right? So one time I was holding a car, waiting for my friends to come back from this place after picking something up and I decided to just let go of the car for a second, just to like walk towards an interesting sound of bird or something. And then I was trying to find the car again and I couldn't, I completely uh-huh. lost my orientation. He found me after like 10, 15 minutes, found me like walking closer into the forest. And he was like yelling my name, like, dude, yeah. what are you doing? So pretty much just simple things like that, just understanding your general orientation by having a point of interest or whatever, it becomes very, very difficult and challenging uh, without sight. So just getting the, the, the problem super in depth 
and learning it from a personal level and then growing that with the community to identify that I understand. And I'm not just coming into this because we're designers and we want to improve your lives, but we're coming in through um, the experience. That's incredible. So. Thank you for sharing those stories. Um, I'm curious, what is next in terms of the, what is the future of WearWorks? What, what are you folks thinking about? Kev, I'll do the immediate future and then you do like the future future. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and then you can do the future future future. <laughs> um, so our immediate future right now is, you know, we just finished manufacturing the first batch of Waybands. We're checking them out for quality right now. We expect them to be shipping to customers before Christmas time. So we're super okay, duper cool. excited about that piece. Really the big piece now is just like getting the Wayband out there. And then the other part is, is that we realized that our technology has such a great opportunity on the B2B side. And also too, given the disparity and the income challenges of the community that we're attempting to serve through disabilities, um, mm -hmm. that we could potentially monetize the technology that we've created in the Wayband app for other companies and ultimately make the Wayband, uh, you know, essentially free. So we're trying this out for a year where we just opened up the Wayband app yesterday. And anyone okay. who downloads the Wayband app right now, whether you go to the app store, you'll get one year included. You'll have to sign up for a subscription. But even if you cancel, you can still use the Wayband app for an entire year for no cost at all. And our oh, goal, nice. um, and we're really committed to this goal, but our goal really is, is to see if within that year's period of time, we can build the partnerships that we need to make sure that the Wayband app stays free for ever for people with disabilities in particular. But of course, you know, people with non-disabilities can also enjoy the benefits of getting around haptic navigation. And then the other piece that we're working on is, you know, we had the phone already built out and we had the Wayband and initially you could only use it with the Wayband. But then we decided like, wait, uh, you know, some people have income challenges. What if we just make the phone vibrate in people's hands? And that would be a, a less expensive way to give them the same experience. So we invented mm -hmm. the standalone Wayband experience. So now you don't need a Wayband. You can just download the app. The phone will vibrate in your hand and you can use it like a magic pointer to point around. But then we came into another revelation, which is that there are so many people that already have smartwatches. Like, what if mm -hmm. we could just tag into the existing ecosystem, you know, yeah. of Apple watches, yeah. Android watches, Fitbits, Loop Bands. And so sure. we're also building right now, starting that process. We built the first Apple integration that we're testing right now. And again, that should be ready to launch also before Christmas time. So our immediate developments are is that like we have the ecosystem of Wayband products. We have the app as a standalone. We have the Wayband that you can purchase directly either from our website and soon coming Amazon. And we have the Apple Watch integration that if you download the app, the Apple Watch integration comes with it for no additional cost. So That's we awesome. really feel um, that. Oh, and also I forgot to say, that this one year special is only until January 1st, 2023. So All everyone right. who signs so up people get on now, it. Yeah. Get on it. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Download it, like send it to the university, send it to, you know, organizations with disabilities. Like we have an opportunity right now to create a massive impact in a short amount of time in people's lives. So we're totally. really excited about yeah. that part. You know, we really see opportunities like right now the, 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 we're playing chess, right? You know, at the start of you're always playing chess, right? You know, mm -hmm. and you know, like the, the way band has, has kind of been like, you know, like, you know, our queen. Um, but right now we also see kind of like, we have a few rooks and bishops 
you know, like in the space of people who want to use the Wayband not to navigate, but to do research. Because guess what? Like we haven't done a crap ton of research in the touch space. You know, like, mm. and the reason, mm-hmm. part of the reason that we haven't done that is because if you want to do research on touch, you got to know hardware, firmware, wearables that don't break consistently, that deliver mm-hmm. a continuous experience across multiple devices. And that's been really challenging. We know because mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time going through challenges, figuring it out. But now that we figured it out, right. we can open up our device to the research community, to the development community, to the gaming community. Imagine having like haptic input or haptic output directly from your Oculus Quest 2, right? You know, and also we have, we have uh, gyroscopes, magnetometers for compass data and accelerometers directly in the band to detect this position in space. So now that can be used as an input mechanism for digital experiences. Mm -hmm. So what we really see is Wayband becomes the AirPods of haptics. Right. Because, you know, Apple doesn't care whether you listen to Bon Jovi or Jay-Z. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like and ultimately we want to be that, too. You can listen to you can feel your way band or you can feel, you know, like whatever Meta has built. Right. You know, like it doesn't really matter. We want to be the platform that haptic technologies are created from and off of. And so on that, we're going to be building a way band SDK, opening up the hardware to the community to do whatever they want to do with it. Inspire us. Show us new ways of building haptic things and use our waybands to do it. Um, the other part is, is that yeah. we're also working on a haptic lab, which is brand new. We just filed patents for it a few weeks ago. Haptic Very lab cool. is going to be a haptic creation studio that's going to enable haptic creation. Simply, it's going to take the understanding of like how to code haptics by understanding quadratic equations and how they graft over time. and. Ugh. It's going to change it. <laughs> and it's going it's to change it. So basically, it, it's yeah. going to change it. So you can draw a line and we play that line wow. on your Wayband directly with the Wayband SDK. So ultimately, like what we really see ourselves becoming is like the Adobe of touch where, you know, we build Photoshop, we build Illustrator, we build tools that enable haptic designers, coining that term, if it isn't out already, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to enable a whole world of haptic designers because guess what? We didn't have UX designers until we had all these screens that we needed UX and UI design for, right? We didn't have graphic designers before we had posters and printing press, right? You know, and so mm-hmm. this is going to open up the entire opportunity, starting with research, because that's where, like, why do we have such ridiculous visual technologies? Because we spent like hundreds of billions of dollars over like, you know, years mm-hmm. doing research on everything visual. We haven't done that with touch yet. So what happens mm-hmm. when that world is a possibility? And then the big part of it is, is that like we're tagging in universities, educational institutions, because ultimately when we went to industrial design school, I spent two years learning about how the eye processes color information. Uh, Every designer in our class did, right? You know, I know how the right. brain process. I know if you put this color next to this color, it looks like this, but you put it next to this color. And this color is going to give you a different feel. I know that mm-hmm. everyone knows that like red is the color that you put all your notifications on because the brain responds to red is danger or very mm-hmm. important, right? This mm-hmm. is stuff that we've learned because we've done the research, right? And so what happens when we break down the sense of touch? For example, if you run your finger across the skin at about three mm-hmm. centimeters a second, it registers as a caress. And you can try it on your friends. It feels weird, you know, like, 
But mm-hmm. these are these little nuanced things that don't really understand until we put the research dollars behind it. And those are the things that open up insights for how do we build haptic illusions, which are ultimately ways of using minimal effort to create maximum possibilities from a from an engagement and an immersion point of view. Amazing. It is incredible what you folks are working on and the tech behind it. Um, I'm so excited for for you folks in your future. Tremendous impact to really drawing inclusion um, to a number of different audiences. So um, Keith Kirkland, Kevin Yu, we wish you nothing but huge success at WearWorks. Thank you for joining us on the Inclusive Collective. Thank you so much. We'll, um, we'll be back. Welcome back, everyone. Nadia, fresh off your interview of yeah. Kevin and Keith from WearWorks. I am so sad. Can I just tell you how sad I am to miss these particular guests? I saw their pitch at, at uh, one of their accelerator demo days, and we had to have them on the on the uh, on the podcast. Super yeah. cool company. Yeah. Very sad that I that I couldn't make the interview, but uh, but you even got a rap in there, right? Like got, this is yeah. this is the so first. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, if you recall, we had Chad Patterson who did like a beat on the table. That's Remember right. That? That's right. Yeah. Um, but Keith yeah. Kirkland of WearWorks definitely did a rap for us. It was awesome. You, you folks heard it. Um, and I, you know, I just want to say that it was so great. You did really miss a great interview because they are so fun. They have really great technology. They are the leaders in haptech technology. Um, they have so many great kind of products and experiences coming um, out there. And so I really just encourage people to check out their website, check out their linked tree. We have um, we'll have that link in the show notes for you. Take advantage of their um, their offering kind of the the Wayband experience and the app, the free download for, for one year. I definitely think it would be cool to kind of really increase the number of users because this technology is incredible and it's super, super impactful. And Nadia, I, don't, I, I mentioned to you as a fully sighted person, mm-hmm. right? I get lost all the time. And yeah. so I'm really excited about some of the applications, hiking, mountain biking. Yeah, and I Kevin mentioned that. that. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm really excited. And, uh, you know, thanks to Kevin and Keith. Yeah, really Nadia. cool. Yes, is it that time? Let's. It's uh, it's it's rave rant time. Yeah, I love it. and we. I don't. I I don't have my my sound effect right now. So the. Uh, but you you did draw the rave. You wanna you wanna go first? I did draw the rave. Um. Yeah, I'll go first. So last okay. week I ranted about like leaders not committing to DEI, and um, I I also thought like you know what there are leaders out there that are committing to DEI and truly oh. encompassing this humanistic leadership, really um, role modeling it for their organization and their employees. I don't know if you follow Ben and Jerry's, but Ben and Jerry's not only has like great ice cream, <laughs> but it follows they, me. Yeah. It follows, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a great, yeah, yeah. It follows me too. So they are a really great example of um, a company that is creating phenomenal products and then bringing awareness to social goods. So they really have, um, if you check out, not only on their website but also within their social media platforms, they are always. Um, stressing social good, things like voter rights, 
uh, social justice, LGBTQ rights, climate justice, campaign finance reform. And they really take this approach of building awareness and providing like historical context to, to people who follow them. Really, really great. Um, check them out. Check out their website. Check out their follow them on the socials. I just really love the work that they do. And, you know, I haven't spoken to anyone from within Ben & Jerry's. We welcome them if they want to come on the podcast. We'd love to have you. Um, Open invitation. Open invitation. But love, love the external outreach that they are committed to. Yeah, yeah. So have a pint of Ben and Jerry's. There have you a go. Pint right. Of ben and Jerry's. Just, right. just to celebrate inclusion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think I'll do that right now. Yeah. So, What's your rant? Thanks. I'm gonna rant about not setting goals, Nadia. Uh, so this is from our friends at Wall Street Journal. Uh, great, there was a great article this week on how companies are working to expand diversity in their supply chain. Okay. Uh, a lot of great efforts from Allstate. Best by Microsoft, but the article shares a study from McKinsey showing that the supplier diversity commitments from the top 200 U.S. companies, and we can see that only 25% have made executive commitments to supplier diversity, and only 16% have made commitments in explicit percentage or absolute terms. Mm. So, you know, 25 and 16%, those are small numbers. Mm I think you'd agree, you know, so my thoughts are, you know, what in God's name are the rest of the companies doing? Mm-hmm. And it also shows that 18% of the top 200 companies have no formal program for supplier diversity at all, oh, period. Yeah. And so just a reminder, reminder that this is an essential part of a DEI strategy. Yeah. Um, and having supplier diversity program in and of itself is not enough. You have to set goals. In what other business context uh, do we not set goals, Nadia? Right. Right? It's like you you, you you don't set goals when something's not important to you. Yeah. And so yep. that's what you see here. Uh, but great job by the companies that are cited there, Allstate, Best Buy, and Microsoft as well. So cool. a positive spin on my rant. A positive spin on your rant. I love that. Thanks, Rob, for that. Um, Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media. We would love to hear from you. So send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. Um, and Twitter. And Twitter. If you like what you hear, um, you know, please be sure to subscribe and rate uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to get in touch with us for consulting, check out Nadia at nasconsultants.com and Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Please, uh, thanks again to our listeners and to our guest, Kevin Yu and Keith Kirkland of WearWorks. We'll be back next week. Be well. Thanks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.